here to worship and yeah Dusty can lead worship and Randy way better than any of us but that's only a worldly concern because if we're worshiping in it with our hearts it's just as sweet to the Lord we may not sing perfect harmony or hit the perfect note that's okay as long as our hearts are right start with this one Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Then, uh, let's see, can you put up the Acts 2, I believe it was, Acts 2, 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. We are called. So I've, I've been wrestling with the way I come to church service. We say it verbally and we hear it often that um, we need to come prepared and I'll confess to you now that many times I don't do that properly at all. So I felt the need to write out a little prayer. It was primarily for me. Um, but I, I think and I hope that would apply to many of you that maybe you feel the same way at times. And um, I feel deficient. I feel deficient to be here right now. Um... I have neglected my Lord in the sense of not giving him my full self for worship and being prepared as I should. So I wrote out this little, it's just a prayer. It's a, it's a prayer of confession and repentance. So I'm just saying repent, repent, and confess. You must confess before repentance can really be there. Because first confession comes, then repentance, then redemption. So I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna kneel because that's where I need to be. And the rest of you can kneel, or if you wish, or you don't have to, but please be kneeling in your minds because I'm gonna be face down. <laughs> I pray this, Father. Here we are, all ready to worship. Again, you've blessed us with another day. But have we ever truly been prepared to worship you? Forgive us, Lord, for our selfish lack of seriousness when we approach your altar. Lord, show us more of your holiness so that we may see the depth of our sinfulness 
in our need of you. We are ashamed, Lord. We are ashamed of our weak worship. When we try to stand on our own before you, we are fooling ourselves. Without releasing our hearts to your Holy Spirit, we cannot have wholesome worship. Please help us, Lord. We know you love us. We know you want to enrich our worship. Please cast out our distractions. And now, we confess and repent of our sins. Take us. Shape us. We yearn to see you more clearly. Take the scales from our eyes and the hardness from our hearts. Holy Spirit, please rush over us. Give us sweet worship. Let us experience such great joy that it can hardly be contained. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to put that hymn up. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Good morning. Well, it was a wonderful hymn. The hymns are so rich. I wanted to read from Isaiah. So amazing to me. Again, you know, 740 years before Christ, we have Christ presented. And even some of this could be uh, related to, some would say, the millennial reign. If you have questions about eschatology, Randy's not here today, so you'll have to wait till he gets back. <laughs> so, so, I mean, if that's true, you're looking at many years, you know, that this is uh, affecting here or discussing. Okay, Isaiah 11. 1 to 10, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the, of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And this, this could be related to the millennial part. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together with the lion, shall, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Jim and I were discussing some of that a little bit earlier. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall 
stand for an ensign of the people, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. I want to move over to Isaiah 12, verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me. Thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Is that good? Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation, and in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. So we, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song, we are to sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. Amen. So, um, I'm wondering about a little experiment this morning with some fear and trembling. Uh, thank you, Brother Scotty, for saying that we don't have to be on key or hit the right note all the time. Appreciate that. And we're going to pass out some. These are scripture songs. What a, I mean, wouldn't scripture songs be a good way to hide the Word of God in our hearts? And these tunes, you know, can be with us, you know, if we're teaching school or, or uh, working on a, a car or working on a tax return or whatever we're doing. We can have the Word of God in our hearts and and uh it maybe sometimes when we can't fully focus on what the the word of god it can be working in our hearts and in our minds um and scripture songs are are just a great way i think to do that a great to sing to the lord would be to sing his word back to him i mean uh how can you go wrong singing the word of god back to god i mean that's that's uh that's something that I think would be good for us to be doing. Now, I guess we all know scripture songs. Some of y'all are going to know. I mean, these are some. We've got 14 on this list. Um, and some of these I know may be known in a different way than we may do them this morning. <laughs> the, the idea would be to worship, and maybe we can learn together uh, some of these. But I'm just going to ask, I mean, we may do some of these more than once. I know that's kind of against the rules, but we may do it this morning. <laughs> uh, does anybody, does, how many people here know Proverbs 6 verses and, and done in backwards order, 23, 22, and 21? Okay, that would be Judy and I and Brian. Okay. All right, well, let's try this one. It's a neat song, and it's uh, it's uh, it's one that we can learn. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. When thou goest, it shall lead thee, when thou sleepest, it shall keep thee, and when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Bind them continually upon thine heart, tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Proverbs 6. 
Okay, how about Psalms 5, verses 1 to 3? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray, my voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Sound familiar? No? Okay. All right. What about Psalm 18, verses 3 and 46? I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. All right, that was good. Let's try that one again. We had more than yeah, two people again. on. Okay. <laughs> I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be my rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Amen. All right, Psalm 19, 7 and 10, 8 and 10, 9 and 10 and 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than 
honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there's great reward. All right, good. Psalm 95, verse 6 and 7. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep His hand, and the sheep of his hand. Let's go to page two. Now this first song here, Psalm 25. Anybody familiar with this one? Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Remember not the sins of my youth, remember not the sins of my youth. O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Oh my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Oh my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. 
let integrity and uprightness preserve me. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Amen. Psalm 34, 1 to 4. I will bless the, the Lord, Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Uh, do that again. I tell you what, we need to be delivered from our fears again, don't we? Yes, we do. I will bless the Lord at all, all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall be and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I saw the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 48, 1 and 2. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King? Okay, Psalm 50, 23. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. All right. Okay, okay here's your song. <laughs> Psalm 51, 10 to 12a. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a bright spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, that song out of Psalm 51 is when David uh, was repenting from uh, what he transgressions he had been in. And um, we know as believers now that uh, uh, when we are in Christ, is that hymn we sing, we're baptized into Christ. We have him and he has us forever. And aren't we grateful for that? But there are times, of course, when we grieve the Holy Spirit and with our sin and we want to we want to re- have that fellowship restored um, with him. Okay, third page, Psalm 61, verses 1 to 3. Anybody? Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. And when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that is higher than I. Lord, Thou hast been a shelter unto me, and a strong tower from the enemy. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That is higher than I. Okay, Psalm 98. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly shown in the sight of the heathen. O sing unto the Lord a new song. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. All right, Psalm 118, verses 28 and 29. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Okay, and the last one, Psalm 119.11. Good one for all of us to, to know. 
Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee, that I might not sin, that I might not sin. Thy word have I hid in my heart, thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee, that I might not sin, that I might not sin, thy word have I hid in my heart. Amen. Anybody want to have one of those redone? Jesus, thank you for this time to learn, for the time of worship. Lord, we uh, are so grateful for the cross. We're so grateful for the wonderful plan of redemption, Lord, that you placed in motion, Lord, for us. And we praise you, Lord, and we know that forever we will be praising you in a perfect heaven, Lord. And we just want to walk with you now, Lord, in this life, each day, take it as a gift from you, Lord, and be grateful, Lord, humble ourselves before your mighty hand, and be thankful, Lord, and we do just give you praise this morning, ask your blessing on the remainder of the service, in Jesus' name. Revelation 19, starting with verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Christ has us. He is not the meek and mild that people think. He's got a sword coming out of his mouth. And he will hold us. And then we can say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, 
Be always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Had some other verses to read, but those after talking, after listening, they'll seem to come together. You want to pull up those other hymns? Come thou almighty King. Last time we were together, we began to consider some of the resources that the Lord has given us to enable us to rethink Him, to behold Him as He really is. It is very important that we use the resources that God Himself gives and not the resources that man gives. Our resources might be good, but they will certainly be flawed, and they may not be good. They may be very popular. They may stir our emotions with stories and accounts, but we must be careful to go back to the Scriptures and to the resources that God gives If we are not careful in this area, then we may end up spending a great deal of time and energy simply polishing up the old idols that we've held. The resources that the Lord gives us are the Scripture, the person of His Son, and the work of His Son. Now, the Bible is not uniform. There is a great deal of variation from chapter to chapter, a great deal a variation in what we might, might call spiritual light. Some passages, particularly in the Old Testament, are shadowy and mysterious. We find clues hidden there, clues that refer to the coming of Christ. Other passages are bright and as clear as possible. For the study of God, for the purpose of rethinking God, the study of Christ is the noonday theology, the old writers called him. If you want to see the dark spots and the cloudy spots in God disappear, the quickest way is to look at Him as He is reflected in His Son. We desperately need a Christ-centered Christianity in our day. As we read church history, we find that in seasons of health, the church is always focused on Christ. Whether you look at the Old Testament before He came, in the New Testament while He is there, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, the closing of the New Testament, and 1,900 years of Christian history. When the church is healthy, Christ is the focus. It is a Christ-centered people. It is Christ-centered in its teaching. It is Christ-centered in its singing. It is Christ-centered in its praying. It's Christ-centered in its giving, in its fellowshipping, in its serving. If we look at the testimony of believers throughout the ages, we find this preoccupation with Christ. Just a couple from the Old Testament. One is found in Psalm 45. It's a psalm written to celebrate the marriage of King Solomon. But you see when you read the psalm that it appears again in the New Testament referring to Christ. So like many passages of prophecy in the Old Testament, you find a figure, a Davidic king, as the small figure up close. But behind the Davidic king, behind the son of David, Solomon, is the greater son of David in the distance, much larger. The passage in Psalm 45, the things it says about the king, many of these things are much too large for Solomon. I just want to read you the opening passage. It says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen 
of a ready rider. Why is he so eager? Why is his tongue ready? He says this, you, king, are fairer than the sons of men. Speaking of, not of Solomon, but of Christ. In Isaiah, there are so many passages that describe the coming king. Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You could look at the four servant songs in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53. All through the Old Testament, the prophets long to see the one that they speak of. Of course, in the New Testament, we find some of the fullest expressions. Just give you two examples or two men as examples. The first is Peter and the second, Paul. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, speaking of Jesus, he says, Whom, having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Later, in chapter 2, Peter says this, Therefore, unto you who believe, he is precious. Paul gives us autobiographical statements along the same line. In Galatians 2, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In Philippians chapter 1, he writes, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When Paul writes to the new church plant in the city of Colossae, he writes the same thing. In chapter 3 of Colossians, he writes, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ, he says, is our life. Later in the chapter, dealing with problems in the church, the people tend to be caught up with issues of race, gender. Paul says, none of this is important because Christ is all and in all. Now that's the Bible but we have 1,900 years of testimony for men and women who are captivated by the sight of Christ. I only have time to give you a few. Let me give you some of my favorites. St. Ignatius, early church leader in the second century. This church leader wrote, and he says, Apart from Christ, let nothing dazzle you. 1153 A.D., a hymn was written that we often sing by a Catholic monk, Bernard of Clairvaux. And this is what he wrote. Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, thou fount of life, thou light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. Later in the hymn he says, to them that seek thee, thou art good, to them that find thee, all and all. In the 1600s, an English pastor named Isaac Ambrose wrote this, Nations and all nations, gold and all gold, jewels and all jewels, angels, yes, all angels, all these and every all besides them, what are they 
in comparison to Christ, but feathers, shadows, nothing. Frederick Faber, in the mid-1800s, a hymnist known for his hymns about Christ, writes this, Wherever we turn in the church of God, there is Jesus. He is the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything for us. There is nothing good, nothing holy, nothing beautiful, nothing joyous, which he is not to his servants. We can exaggerate about many things, but we can never exaggerate about our obligation to Jesus or the compassionate abundance of the love of Jesus to us. Perhaps one you know better, Charles Spurgeon, same century. He writes this. He said, I'd rather be blind, deaf, and dumb and lose my ability to taste and smell than not to love Christ. To be unable to appreciate Christ is the worst of disabilities. It is the death of a soul. He warned those who came to hear him, and there were thousands. And he said this, if you cannot say Jesus is precious to me, I do not care what to what church you belong or what creed you're ready to die for. You do not know the truth of God unless the person of Christ is dear to you. I'll give you one more quote. Last words spoken by Charles Spurgeon in that great pulpit after 40 years of ministry. This is what he said. Christ is the most magnanimous of captains. If there is anything gracious, generous, kind, tender, lavish, and superabundant in love, you will always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him, and I have nothing but love for him. His service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Christ even this day. Now, these are wonderful words, aren't they? But they're more than pretty words. We have people who write pretty words in our day. There, I suppose there are more people blogging their feelings about Jesus of Nazareth today than could be counted. But I have had personal experience of those who say the most wonderful things about the heights of love for Jesus that dwells in their souls. And while they're telling me this, they are committing adultery. They're stealing from the government, or they're hiding the most horrible sins of immorality. What's so wonderful about these quotes is not just what they say about Christ, but it comes from the lives of men who proved what they said. Their entire ministry was fashioned by a sight of Christ. And it's not just a few isolated quotes either. It's the books that were written, books on books on books. Books are always a good thermometer of the age, especially of the religious temperature. Seasons when the church is healthy, the books that are the bestsellers are the books that speak of Christ. Now, I have refrained from over-referencing the old books that are my favorites because obviously we're under time constraints and the Bible is the authority and not the writers of the past. But I do want to give you some examples this evening because I want you to see that a Christ-oriented Christianity 
was at one time the norm. And this me-oriented Christianity that we live in, where Christ is neglected, is not the norm in the Scripture. It is not biblical Christianity if Christ is not the throbbing heart of our focus. Now, I brought some books with me tonight. Here's a hymnal by a man named Schaff, Philip Schaff, called Christ in Song. It's a beautiful old book, but really the treasure lies within. Philip Schaff was a wonderful historian, but toward the end of his life, he gathered the best hymns in Christendom from the death of the apostles to the late, late 1800s. He gathered his, the best hymns he could find from Latin, Greek, German, English, anything, and put them in a volume called Christ in Song. It's only got two chapters, big chapters. The first chapter is called Christ for Us. Every song you can imagine, every hymn about what Christ has done to save us, for us. The second half of the book is called Christ in Us. It's a wonderful book. Here's another book by a man named Isaac Ambrose in the 1600s, Looking Unto Jesus. It's a serious go. 700 pages of tiny print. Each section of the book deals with some aspect of Christ's life and work for the sinner. And at the end of each section, he gives an application. And the application is eightfold. Listen to his application. After dealing with some aspect of Christ's work, then he gives these. Knowing Jesus in that aspect, in that way that he's done this work. Considering Jesus in this aspect, desiring Jesus in this, hoping in Jesus in this, believing in Jesus, loving Jesus, calling upon Jesus in this particular aspect of his life and conforming to Jesus. Now, can you imagine being so concerned that the passage you read this morning about Jesus in your quiet time, so concerned to apply that to your life, that you would go through all eight of those to make sure that it's not wasted. Here's another book, 1600s, by a man named Robert Astey. I don't know anything about Robert Astey except for the dates that he lived. He was a pastor in England. He wrote a book, Rejoicing in the Lord Jesus in All Cases and Conditions. Here's another book, one of my favorites, The True Christian's Love to the Unseen Christ, again in the 1600s by a pastor named Thomas Vincent. Another one, Love to Christ, necessary to escape the curse that is coming. In this book, he starts with a, what, he, what we would call a preface, a long preface, but he calls an epistle to the non-lovers of Jesus. And then he begins his book. And if he says, love to Christ is necessary to escape the curse at his coming, we'd better get straight in our minds what God calls the love of Christ. And so while it's not the whole book, the first half of the book deals with 14 chapters explaining what real biblical love to Christ is. And here finally is a book by a man named Philip Henry, the father of the very famous 17th century Bible commentator, Matthew Henry. He writes a book called Christ All in All. 41 chapters, each based on some passage of scripture that describes something that Jesus is to his church. The king, the captain, the priest, the foundation, the food, the banner, the life. On he goes. 
Now, I took the time to show you those because I want us to be bothered by a question. Why? When you look up on the internet at a Christian book distributor, why are the books that are the top sellers not about Christ? Why did these men spend such time and energy? And the answer is that they felt that knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, following Jesus was not a small part of the Christian life. It was not even a large part or the majority of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. To know God in Christ to be preoccupied with the glory of God viewed in the face of His Son, as Paul says. That is Christianity. That's life. Well, what's happened? We don't live in a day like that. Many of us have grown up in church and we've spent a lifetime listening to sermons and never heard one serious sermon series on the glories of Christ. Now, I know we hear a lot about Jesus, but it always tends to be what Jesus can do for me. How many of us have really given careful study to those Old Testament passages which most clearly reveal Christ? How many of us have plowed carefully and slowly through the Gospels to see Christ from all four angles? Have we really gone to the epistles and ransacked them for explanations on Christ? Have we gone to the book of Revelation and instead of asking what's going to happen in the end times and where is my country going to be, have we gone to the book of Revelation and done what we should have done and asked, God, will you show me the glory of the Lamb victorious? And the books that are written in our day, how to find contentment, how to find true love, how to find joy, how to rescue your marriage, how to be the man you're supposed to be, and how to live your life to the fullest right now. That was the top seller list that I found today. Now, these aren't wrong. They're not evil. They're helpful. But they tell something about us, don't they? They show that we are a people not focused on Christ. For one thing, only one of the 20 top sellers was really about Christ at all. And that was on following Christ, not about Christ himself. But for another thing, the problems that we're trying to fix are all problems that are the consequence of a people focused on themselves and not focused on Christ. Now something has happened. There's been a subtle shift. Perhaps there are some things that might help us as we rethink God as, and we view His Son. The first is this. Lowered views of God cannot occur without it affecting your view of Christ. Nowhere are the consequences of low and unbiblical views of God more heartbreaking than in this one terrible fact. The church is, for the most part, uninterested in Christ. The religious scene in America and the West is bored with Jesus. If you just think of Jesus for a moment, you f what is Jesus to us? He is all the fullness of God, Colossians says, all the majesty, all the bigness, the eternity, the power, the wisdom, the holiness, the glory coming down, crashing into humanity 
united to the human body and soul of Jesus of Nazareth. Fully God, fully man. In Jesus, we don't just see the magnificence of God, but we see the tenderness of God, the humility of God, the pity and compassion of God. We see all the attributes of God in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, reaching out and exerting themselves for the rescue of people like us. It is the sweetest sight that the Christian is given. But what's happened is this. With small views of God, large views of ourselves, inadequate views of sin and of salvation, we just don't really feel that we need God in the flesh. Now, I know we pay him lip service, but if you have a small measure of God in your mind, a low and inadequate view of God, how can you have a large view of the God-man who, who has the fullness of God in him? If God is small and someone says, yes, that man has all the fullness of deity in him, and in your mind, the fullness of deity is mighty small, then that man is pretty insignificant. You cannot know the God of the Bible without knowing Christ, and you cannot know Christ correctly until you begin to rethink God. One problem we have, of course, is that we think that, that we're big enough to know God on our own, that if we have our Bible and our books and we study them carefully and we go to church, that we can know God. But the truth is that God is too far, too high, too holy, too incomprehensible, too other than us for us to know. Yet he has made himself knowable through his son. The invisible God is now seen. Listen to John chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. For it is the God who commands light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John 14, Christ makes this claim. Have I, not, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? In Hebrews chapter 1, we find... Christ described as the brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person. Christ is the exact image of God. He is like the image of God stamped upon the coin. We want to know what God is like, we look at him in his son. How is he the exact image of God? Because he is the perfect representation of his character. Everything we see in Christ is a reflection of the Father. God transcendent, clothed in an unapproachable glory, and yet he has come down to us so that we can know him. Jesus Christ is the, if we could say it this way, Hubble telescope for the Christian. God is distant. God is mysterious. And God plants in front of us this enormous telescope, and you're allowed to walk right up and looking at God through the sun. You haven't figured him out. You haven't gotten your brain around God. But looking at God through the sun, you say, I see him in a way I never could have seen him otherwise. The young Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, in the early 1800s, led one of the great revivals of that nation when he was still in his 20s. 
He writes this about God come in the flesh, knowing God through Jesus Christ. He says, He is the brightness of His Father's glory and the express image of His person. All the purity, majesty, and love of Jehovah dwell fully in Him. He is the bright and morning star. He is the sun of righteousness. He is the light of the world. He is fairer than the children of men. His riches are infinite. He could say, all that the Father has is mine. He is Lord of all. All the crowns of heaven are cast at his feet. All angels are his servants. All worlds are his dominion. Behold your God. This is God manifest in the flesh. Is that how we think of Jesus? Heaven's favorite, the apple of the Father's eye, the object of the saints in heaven's praise, the study of the angelic hosts. Would they find our church services strange coming down from that scene to us? When we have a chance to view God by faith through Christ and we're focusing on something else instead. Well, we have to start with ourselves. You can test yourself. Go to Sunday school fellowships. Ask the church member next to you, what have you learned about Christ this month? Read any good books about Jesus lately? What is it about Christ that has helped you live unto God? And you may find yourself sitting alone at the Sunday school fellowship like an alien. Strange that you would talk about Jesus at the church fellowship. But search your own heart. How much time in the past few weeks have you given to the careful study of those texts which give the clearest portraits of Christ and so the clearest portraits of God? Now, we don't expect the world to be impressed with Jesus. They don't believe him. They can't understand him. But we expect that the church, his bride, would be looking at him and not over looking in the mirror Every day, all day. He is all in all. Why are we focusing on anything else? Of course, it's not as if we quit calling ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus. We want to have something of Jesus about our church services and about our small group meetings and about our fellowships. So we tend to limit Jesus or reinvent Jesus. We limit Jesus, that is, we still mention the name of Jesus at the appropriate moments in church, especially at the end of the sermon when it's the gospel invitation, come down, Jesus has died to save you. Even if the sermon was a sermon about tithing, at the end, you get a little word about Jesus. Is that really a Christocentric church service? We limit him. He's like the threshold, the door that leads into heaven or into salvation. And we walk through him. And we know we have to go through him. There's no other way. So we cross over the threshold of Jesus. And now we're Christians. And now we're free to do whatever our church offers us. As much of it or as little of it as we wish. But we walk on. And Christ is left behind. Oh, no, no. It's not that we don't believe in Jesus. But it's just that he's the threshold. And now we're beyond that. We can reinvent Jesus, have a sentimental Jesus that looks like us, except with sandals and a beard. But he's not the God of the Bible. So we rob ourselves. What can we do? Well, let's determine to do some things. We must determine 
not to have a narrow tunnel vision of Jesus. We want to back up and get the biggest picture of Christ, the cosmic proportions of the Son of God. Not just the little proportions. What about Jesus? What can he do for me? Second, we don't want a sentimental Jesus that we've invented. The Jesus of the Christian movies, the Christian romance book, and the newest Christian song. We want the Christ of scriptures that men and women fall down before. We want to be reintroduced to him as we read the Bible. And we don't want dim and fuzzy views of Jesus because that's not going to be enough either. And we don't want just Sunday school facts of Jesus because that's not enough. We need a living, real knowledge of Christ. Colossians 1 is a wonderful place to start where Paul describes Christ. He says he is, and then he gives seven descriptions. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the heir over all creation. He's the creator of all things, sustainer of all things. He pre-exists all things. He's head of the church, firstborn from the dead, the beginning of the resurrection. He is the preeminent one with all the fullness of God. What if we were to go back and give serious time as individuals in our quiet times to unfolding each of these great themes. Well, some questions and warnings to finish with. Will you determine to know him whatever the cost? Listen to what Isaac Ambrose, who wrote that big book on Jesus, said. Don't stop short because of the cost. Whether pains or study, tears or prayers, peace or wealth, goods or reputation, life or liberty, sell them all for this pearl. Christ is so valuable that you can never overbuy him, though you gave yourself and all the world for him. Do not let any cost make you stop short of pressing on to really know God through Christ. Second, why not determine to know Christ better than you know any other person, better than you know your spouse, better than you know your children, your best friend? Why not begin a lifelong pursuit that will not end at the end of this life to collect the clearest passages, the most helpful hymns, the greatest quotes on Christ? Treasure them. Plead with God. Show me your son. And with the son, show me the father. Now you have to put away the fear of boredom. We say, well, yes, Jesus is great, but really just focusing on one person all the time, that uh, gets boring, doesn't it? No, no, a Christian cannot tire himself in viewing Jesus, one writer said. We know that looking at one person becomes monotonous unless that one is all. Spurgeon said to his people, he wanted to warn them, the more you know about Christ, the less you'll be satisfied with superficial views. The more deeply you study his life and the fullness of his grace, the more you'll, you will see the king and his beauty. You will long more and more to see Jesus. Are you ready for that? Let's pray. God, you have given us yourself in the sun. You have pulled back the veil in such a stunning way. You have come among us, God with us, God for us. Lord, you span that great chasm between the uncreated and the created. You have brought us near to you through the finished work of that God-man. He is now enthroned in heaven, our king and priest, 
our prophet and our brother. Lord, give us hearts held captive by the superior charms of Jesus of Nazareth. And we pray that all other things that clamor for our attention would be put in their right place. And anything in the life that would call our heart away from Christ, make it grow pale as he rises on the horizon of our minds each morning. Teach us and let us know you through him. We pray in his name. Amen. Any thoughts, questions, comments regarding that small, I say small sermon, pretty large. Um, and I can even open it up to stuff that I read, stuff that Kenny read, Scotty, as we move to kind of close out a worship service. I don't have a question or a comment or anything like that. I just come up with a story all of a sudden that the Lord wanted me to convey about this service. Uh, imagine that you're in your living room and uh, you're just reading the paper and you're, you glance out your window and you see some kids playing out there, which is the normal thing. And you don't think too much of it. You get back to your paper. You hear the wife in the kitchen. Things seem pretty normal. You glance out again, and I don't see my daughter out there or my son. It seems strange. Their cousins live next door, and they love to play together, and they're friends. And they're almost always out there. The day's very nice. And so start to get a little concerned. You don't see her. You start to get up, go into the kitchen, hoping you see her in there, but then you hear her little footsteps coming down the hall. And rather than being out there playing, which you know she loves to do, she walks up to you and she says, Daddy, I've written you a love song. And although imperfect, she performs it for you right there. How would you receive that? That's how I think the Lord has received our service today. Thank you, Scotty. Any other comments regarding what we... Yes, regarding the video, but also just the service time. I, I know that you all did not coordinate things near as much as the Lord can. So I thought it was very awesome the way that John Snyder pointed out that we need to know uh, Christ in Revelation, his power, his might, who he is. That was what the Lord laid on your heart this morning to read, which I know was not your plan. And that then that was brought out in the video. I just thought that was a God moment. Lord is good, period. I know you got something to say. <laughs> I loved the um, the sermon about spending time searching the scriptures and knowing Jesus. Um, we all need to do that. 
and I'm learning that more and more each day. Not that I didn't know it before, but when some doctor tells you cancer immediately, like everything else changes in your life and you think differently. First you have despair and then thinking, okay, how is like everyone going to, you know, react and um, deal with whatever the consequences will be of this. And I know from other people that, um, like I talked to other people who, my, my first thought, even before asking God to heal me, is, okay, i got to talk to someone else who's done this, been there before. So I reached out to a few people who I knew are Christians who did things in a little bit different, non-conventional way to deal with cancer. And they all told me the same thing. You know, this is a personal thing, and every case is different. You know, in other words, I couldn't just find all my answers in those people. Um, but the the basics were 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 the same. And um, my friends at church and my children just soaking the whole situation in scriptures. I had people email me scriptures and um, tell me over the phone scriptures and uh, messaging me. And that, that was very comforting, very good. And I kept thinking, how can a non-Christian go through this type of a thing if they don't have a church and Christian friends to pray for them? And again, I have this head knowledge about nutrition and how you can heal your body and you know I'm thinking okay I'm just going to do all this cleansing stuff and all that because that'll kill this cancer again I'm not even asking God to heal me like the second or third day when this kind of became my reality I um, I stood in my bathroom looking in my mirror looking at this ugly thing on my wrist and I just said God I know that you can heal because you're the same yesterday today and tomorrow you didn't stop healing 2,000 years ago why is it that people in these far-off third-world country Christian people have you know miraculous healings well if God can do it there he can do it here too so I'm building myself up thinking, okay, I'm going to, so, and I, in my heart, believe that cancer and other sicknesses, sometimes they come from our lifestyle, you know, what our lifestyle is. And I think sometimes it's just an attack of the enemy. And I know as a Christian uh, that we have power over the enemy through the blood of Jesus. And so I stood in my bathroom, looking in the mirror, holding my hand, uh, up and just praying and asking God to heal it and coming against the enemy in Jesus' name and telling him he cannot have any authority in my body and casting him down. <sighs> Later that evening, I got an email from a friend who said, oh, I want you to know that I uh, told another friend about your situation and she had me to just sit down and immediately just pray over me for your healing. And I wrote back and I said, can you, oh, I got to say this first. As I was in front of the mirror, you know, all these little Bible verses go through my head and I'm thinking, 
where two or more are gathered. I'm like, it's just me, you know? <laughs> and, but then I got that email and I asked my friend, so tell me, what time was that, that this prayer was happening? And it was actually at the same time that I was standing in front of my mirror. Her friend was having her sit in my place and praying healing for, my, for this thing. And what a confirmation. Okay, a day later, now I'm still doing the cleansing. I got all the stuff in my house that I had when my dad was here, and I'm drinking all this stuff and, you know, taking these vitamins and vitamin C and blah, 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 all this stuff. And, um, and then another friend calls for a totally different reason. And she was my old boss when I worked at the school, um, Texas Balderas. I don't know if any of you know uh, them. They live in black. And she was the principal over at the ranch school. Anyways, um, she asked me a question about some other thing totally unrelated, and I told her about my hand. And I kind of told her, um, you know, that I'm praying for healing and that I'm, you know, that I've even actually, after four days of doing cleansing, I'm like noticing it's gone down and it doesn't hurt as much. And I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty great. And she goes, no, it's not your food. It's not what you're doing nutritionally. God has healed you. Don't give the glory to a diet. Give the glory to God. Well, that like really was like, okay, you're right. I need to <laughs> keep my eyes focused on Jesus and not on these other, such, other things. She said, I've got some information. I'm going to email it to you, some uh, Christian teachings um, about healing and all this stuff. And well, the next day we had to go away for the day, so we couldn't look at it until yesterday. So Dwayne and I, we just kind of spent the day watching these videos of um, uh, teaching, um, you know, all scripture from the New Testament and just dissect, the person is dissecting it all and showing, you know, how, you know, Christ heals and and just a confirmation that my healing is in Christ. And I will tell you that I asked Dwayne a couple days after I prayed, does this look smaller? And he said yes, and I went, oh, well, maybe that's just his wishful thinking, you know. I'm not going to really trust that opinion. No opinion. I mean, no, no offense. <laughs> so then uh, a day or two later, a friend came over who had seen me over Christmas but hadn't seen me since. And I told her, oh, yeah, they said that this thing is cancer now. And I told her what I was about praying and the diet and all that stuff. And she goes, and I said, I, I feel like it might be, you know, going down. And she goes, oh, I, I can tell. I can tell that it's smaller. So, and then another friend was over and the same thing. And so I, I, I do this. I go, okay, is it smaller? Is it? And it is. It is smaller. I'm telling you. My hand used to have to go like this, and now it goes like that. I used to not be able to squeeze it because it would hurt so much, and it doesn't hurt. It, it isn't sensitive to, you know, my, my cloth touching it or whatever. So I am telling you that this cancer in my wrist is healed by the blood of Jesus. Also, your testimony that you gave on Facebook was awesome about your, your thing here in your neck. And that is another thing to encourage me. Well, if God can heal her neck, he can heal my wrist. That's why I think it's so important for us to share our testimonies because it builds the, our faith up. Because I'm thinking, do I have enough faith to believe that God can do this? Okay. So then the doctor's office called. Now remember, they said I had to have radiation. 
And I told them a week ago, I said, I don't want to do radio. Can we try something different? They said, well, whatever. So then they called me and they said, okay, we'll just do the scans of your body to find out if the, where the cancer, if or where it's gone. And then we'll do the, the surgery the next day. And you don't have to do the radiation. So I was happy to hear that the doctor said I didn't have to do the radiation. I'm taking this minute by minute and day by day. And um, God can, can heal me. I know God can, and he has, you know, he has the power, and I believe that. And so I'm just asking all of you to join in in thanking God for this healing. Um, I've seen many testimonies of other people that have been healed. I'm talking like 10 years ago, five years ago, a year ago, right here, right now in the United States. It isn't, it's not only happening in third world countries where there's persecuted Christians who don't have access to medical things and all that. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He came to save us and to heal us. And it's no different now than it was 2,000 years ago. And I'm just excited, and I want to just share that with you and praise the Lord, and God is good. Thank you, Mary. I overheard you talking when you came in this morning. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to give all the praise and all the glory to God for what he did. Um, I also want to thank you all for praying for me last week. But I also want to say um, my faith that God has given me come from Him. It was nothing I did on my own. Uh, and I think that we had to be careful telling people, you have to have all this faith. You have to have all this faith if you want to be healed. Because then when people aren't healed, you know, it, it's very discouraging. Um, God has come through for me so many times, and he never ceases to amaze me. Does it have anything to do with me? Absolutely not. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. But that faith that he gives each one of us goes, I think, with the trials and the, and the things that, that we go through. I mean, he's helping, getting us, preparing us ready, getting us ready for his kingdom. And um, like I said on that post on Facebook, next time I have a trial, remind me of all these words that he has so graciously given me to share with you because I'm going to need it. <laughs> I woke up this morning and I... I have issues with my neck, you know, and I had a bit of vertigo, you know, and and, um, and I'll go back to prayer with him, but I always pray for his will to be done. You know, as much as I want him to heal me, as much as I want the things that I want, I always have to pray his will be done because he knows best. He knows what he's putting me through. He knows what or letting, not putting me through, but letting things happen, you know, and um, for whatever reason, you know, and I have to just have faith that he gives me, the faith that he gives me. But I also want to share this, and I'll end it, because um, I don't want to confuse any matters or, or, or make anything, you know. Just look to the Lord, look in, in your word. But um, the faith the faith that, that he gives you, it comes from from him and we don't all have the same amount of faith and it's there's nothing wrong at all and correct me if I'm wrong any one of you men 
for asking for more faith, for asking him to keep you in the faith that he has and asking for more. I, I don't think that from what I read, there's anything wrong with that. I don't know I could be wrong. But, but I have given him all the praise and all the glory um, for the things that he's done for me and, and for you and for everyone that, you know, that he's healed. And Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. It was the man that brought his son to Jesus Christ. So, yes, Lord, help my unbelief. And you're right. Something I certainly tout is uh, Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, period. So you're right, it comes from him. Kenny. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 9, verse 43, And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered, every one, at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, let these things, let these sayings sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying. And it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. So even his own disciples did not have understanding at that point of what Jesus was saying. They did understand it eventually. And so I think it's right for us to pray, Lord, uh, not only increase my faith and help me to understand you more, open the scriptures to me more and more. Because we are, we need that. We need the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to help us understand the Word of God. And uh, then our faith, of course, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then our faith will grow. Uh, but it's, it's, I hesitate to say this, but, you know, we just don't know everything. We just don't know everything. And we can read it and we can nod our heads, you know, but we need to pray, Lord, give me understanding and that I would obey, that I would honor you, that I would give you glory, that my life would, would honor Christ and make him known and exalt him. Lord God, thank you for granting us a desire, a delight, a even an excitement for many of us that, Lord, you have changed our hearts through your Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, to want to come together on a Sunday morning, Lord, to be, be expectant to know a little bit more about you, to worship you to hear your word, God, to sing praises unto you. We are grateful for this morning. We do pray for Randy, that he will heal. We pray for Dusty and his family also, those others that have had to deal with the sickness and may be in the middle of it. Get your hand upon them. We are grateful that as a body we can still come together, gather and worship you. We're thankful for just the coordination this morning to seeing how the Lord worked. And we step away from our time together desiring to know more of you, to unpack this Christ that has saved us, 
our Lord and the Holy Spirit that will drive us to that and to know you. God, you're good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God is good.